Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology. In this podcast, we discuss how data is creating our future. Specifically, we cover applications of analytics, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. We discuss career tips for data scientists on how to lead and create value from data. And also, what are the current and future challenges in data science? In this podcast, we interview current leaders in the data space, such as heads of and directors of data science and data engineering, chief data scientists and chief data officers to find out straight from them what were the lessons they've learned in their careers which have helped them get to where they are today. My name is Felipe Flores and I have over 15 years experience in the data space where I've worked on everything from data warehousing to reporting and business intelligence to machine learning and artificial intelligence. I hope you enjoy this episode. Today we speak with Ben Patterson, who is the Head of Customer Data Science at Medibank. Before joining the health, um, health insurance industry, Ben spent, I think it was about, you know, 10 years, 12 years in heads of analytics or data science role in the finance industry. Um, he started at National Australia Group in Europe with head of business and behavioral scoring. Uh, he's been head of business credit analytics and strategy at National Australia Bank, then head of credit risk for small businesses, then head of predictive analytics uh, for marketing before coming across or jumping over to the health insurance industry uh, with Medibank. Bank has a wealth of experience and it is a really, really fun interview that you're about to hear. We uh, spend a little time talking about all, all different parts of, of data science and uh, including you know, getting buy-in from stakeholders, interesting applications of data science, um, how to find the strategic pain points in an organization in order to apply data science to them. Uh, to uh, have in a way that it can that you can have a broader impact with uh, your work. Uh, we talk about also how to deal and do a really great stakeholder management with uh, technology teams and with business partners. Uh, ben has a really really interesting uh, views that will add. That will be very beneficial to to uh, lots of listeners. I really enjoyed doing this interview, and I hope you enjoy it too. Hi, this is Felipe Flores, and I'm sitting here with Ben Patterson. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks for coming in. Good to have a chat. Been looking forward to this for a while. Yeah, me too, Felipe. Mate, I wanted to um, get started with with your early days. Uh, I think that for for a lot of uh, people getting into the field or for a lot of young data scientists, sometimes they, they see some data science leaders and they think, oh, I could never get there or I couldn't um, be like them. So for that reason, I always like to start with, with some of the early days and how you got started, how you got into this space. What was it for you that really pushed you into, into the specialty? Uh, I think like a lot of people, I found it by accident. Yep. Um, so I, I graduated back in 93 in stats and psychology 
I saw a local ad saying, we're a large organization, do you enjoy working with numbers? If you do, send in your CV. So I did. Um, ended up working for GE Capital, um, building credit risk scorecards and, and strategies um, for approving and declining lending of, of store cards. Um, nice. The early days are interesting because I remember walking in and there were, this was back end of 1993, there were four dummy terminals in the middle of the office for an analytics team of, at that stage, I think it was eight, huh. eight analysts. And you had to book a time slot wow. to actually go and code mainframe SAS yeah. on these dummy green screen terminals. Wow. Like you would submit your job. Yeah. There would be no um, log that you could see. So you couldn't see how your job was running at the time. In fact, you couldn't even see your job running because your job would be submitted to a data center, would run overnight, and then you would come in the next morning and you would see whether or not your job had failed or succeeded. Wow. <laughs> so that little semicolon yeah. that you missed, you wouldn't know until you came in the next day. Wow. Yeah, so that was how, that was how I started. Um, and I guess the, the models and the strategies that we worked on um, or that, 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 that I worked on covered the, the credit application, but then it also covered what we called behavior scoring at the time. So mm -hmm. how do you manage customers' limits once they're with you? And we had models that we built for that. Um, how do you manage customers when they go into collections? We had models that ranked the customer's risk of default that informed collection strategies. Um, and then how do you provide for future bad debt losses and you know working with finance to put money aside to um, to cater for that so right. the first couple of years gave me a really good start in analytical thinking mm -hmm. problem solving i always think that just the process of building a model or building a strategy is a really good analytical thought process yes um, so that was how I started, really. and That's amazing. Um, my career just, just grew from that. Um, but I was lucky to get into financial services. I'd never heard of GE Capital. Yeah. Um, you know, I ended up being thrown in at the deep end, working for one of the largest global organizations. Exactly, exactly. Um, and how, how long did it take the, the team to set up the, I guess, all the infrastructure that's required to run all those models and then, and then build the models? Were you there from from the start or did you come in through, during the process? No, I came in during the process. Yep. Uh, so you know, the, the team was, was pretty advanced really. If you, if you think about what we call machine learning now, mm. that's what we were doing back in 1993, right? I mean, the data set was more constrained. Yes. The technology that enabled all of the modeling was more cumbersome and, and you had to you know manually match the data and, and you know upload the data into the, the programming software um, and then manually deploy the outcomes of your models into the the operational environment so it was clunky but it was machine learning right the the algorithms the regression algorithms were telling you the weightings of the characteristics and you could see that and you could play with that uh, but it was still you know still machine learning back then um, it was an evolving process. You know, we had a separate um, technology space and a separate um, analytics space. Okay. Um, and, you know, worked reasonably closely with them, but, but I think, I'll probably come onto this later on in the talk, Philly, but I, I think the way that the data science world is changing is, is really bringing 
technology and, and engineering much closer to the analytics teams at co-designing solutions. Yes. It wasn't the case back then. Um, yeah, but we, we knew that we wanted um, SaaS, so SaaS was available at that point. There yeah. wasn't any of, obviously, the open source languages that you have now. Correct. Um, I think it was SPSS or Minitab or SAS, and, yeah. and that was about it. Yes, yeah. And it was mainframe SAS. Um, <laughs> so I think you know the way that, that our infrastructure evolved was moving that more to PC SAS, you know, everybody mm -hmm. being enabled through their own their own PC, um, being able to submit jobs and actually see them running real time. Yes. Um, obviously, the, the the developments of SAS helped at that point as well mm -hmm. so the the ui and you know being able to have color coding of your semicolon <laughs> that's right yes. <laughs> and, and stuff like that uh, but yeah the, i mean the way that we built models back then hasn't it hasn't changed that's right amazing. so we we yeah. built models using linear regression mm -hmm. um sometimes logistic regression depending on the problem we were trying to solve but you know we're still doing that now exactly exactly right uh, we did decision trees uh, so decision yes. trees and, and and regression were our two main analytical tools modeling tools and i think that is still the case now definitely definitely because the um tell me how you how you see it but i think that the explanatory power that that uh, those types of models have is a huge benefit in, in business yeah well I th Certainly back then, and even now, mm. right, having to sell the benefits of data science into a business is the biggest challenge. Yes. Where, you know, you, you need to get sponsorship at a, a senior level to be able to support and implement the models and the strategies that you, that you build. If you're going to a leadership team, or even not, not even leadership team, just an operational area that mm -hmm. you need to use your model to try and benefit their process. Um, if you're going in and you're saying, here is a model, it, it's perfect. You know, it has a fantastic Gini coefficient or whatever stat you want to throw at them and it will do what you, you, you want it to do. It will rank customers by their likelihood to lapse or you know, miss their payments on their credit card. Uh, it's great, you know, here's some charts that show you that it works, you know, go ahead and use it. Um, do you really think they're going to use it? Or <laughs> do you really think that they're going to be engaged when they're using it? Um, so you've, you've got to be able to explain the, the model, you've got to be able to explain what's driving the model. I think it helps if you've got some characteristics that are driving the model that they also believe believe in yes. so it makes logical sense as well if you go and you say it's a perfect model i can't tell you the characteristics that are driving it because it's a neural net or yeah. you know it's a random forest classification mm -hmm. but it's a fantastic model you go ahead and use it then they're not going to use it and you're not going to get sponsorship to then help you get the get the funding um, or just get the space to be able to develop what you want to develop within your own strategy um, Exactly decision right. tree is perfect. Yes. Everybody knows flow diagrams <coughs> from school, right? So mm -hmm. decision trees are, are great. And regression is, is great because you can show the relative predictiveness of the characteristics that are driving your predictive outcome. Um, and I think, I think we run, I think to you earlier, I think we run the risk of over-engineering the whole modeling process to try and make it perfect and you don't need to. Yes. Yeah, you'd be better off having a sub-perfect model that is used and understood than a perfect model that sits on the shelf. 
Yes, definitely. And there's so many, there's so many examples of, of that. Um, even with the, the Netflix uh, prize on, on Kaggle, that, you know, they, they built a model that Netflix couldn't implement because it was too complex, even though it yeah. beat the accuracy. Um, uh, there's, there's so many things there that, that I want to, to ask you about. So we'll come back to, to getting buy-in from, um, from stakeholders and, and working with them to get them to believe on uh, analytics and get excited by it and to change their behavior so they, they adopt the, mm. the benefits of the model. Um, but before we do that, uh, what, let's um, continue with your, with your background. So you went from, from GE Capital where, where did you go to from there? Yeah, so I went to a small bank in the Midlands, Alliance and Leicester. Mm -hmm. um, it's now part of Bank Santander, I yep. believe, so I was taken over by them. Worked there for nine months. That was my first role in management. Nice. So that, that was the first time I'd managed a small team of analysts um, and to effectively build out application scoring and behavior scoring for some of Alliance and Leicester's products. And how did you find the, the change, the transition from, from um, doing the work to managing people? I, I, I've actually enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I certainly think at that first level of, of management, you're still working pretty closely with the analysts anyway, and they're coming to you for, for guidance. Um, you know, I was never the best coder in the world. I could yep. always get the right outcomes from the code I, I wrote. They were accurate. Yes. But I would write SAS jobs that were ridiculously long. Yeah. Um, and in my first job, I sat next to a fantastic SAS coder who would reduce it by about 90%. Wow, yes. And still get the same outcome. So I'd, I'd get the right outcomes. I could, you know, build, build the models, but I wasn't the best coder. Um, but I did understand the value of application and the value of um, you know, talking to the, the business areas that were gonna use it to get the best value from the model and make sure it got in. So I actually found the management, um, I, I thought it was great because I had the right level of understanding of the analytics and the modeling to be able to guide them. Um, the analysts trusted me. Um, I wasn't there for very long. You yeah. know, I, was, I was there for, for, for nine months and then the next opportunity came up and mm -hmm. You know, we made the decision as a family to move back to, to Leeds. Nice. Um, and that was when I, um, I think I missed working for a large global organization. Oh, I had right. the opportunities for, for travel at, at that point. Mm -hmm. um, so then got the opportunity to work for National Australia Group Europe, uh -huh. which at that point owned four European banks. Right. Um, and that was moving for, at that point, it, it was called a head, of, a head of job, and that was, you know, head of analytics for um, behavior scoring. It also covered fraud um, and all of the applications of, of behavior scoring, so collections, um, authorizations of, you know, limit increases, limit renewals, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it also gave me my first experience of small business lending. Right. So moving away from retail and consumer lending, also looking at small business lending and how we could help the small business operations, which really interested me. Um, so yeah, moved back to, to Leeds and, and, and worked for National Australia Group Europe, looking after you know, Yorkshire, Clydesdale and two Irish banks mm -hmm. um, at the time. 
So again, that, I guess, broadens my experience across yeah. into business lending, still within financial services, uh, but also gave me, I guess, that next step up in, in leadership where I had a number of different responsibilities across the analysts that were reporting into me. Okay. Covering fraud um, and business scoring, as well as the, you know, the standard credit scoring that was my experience up to that point. Before, yeah, that makes sense. And what, what was it about, um, about small business um, that interested you? It was something new. Yeah. Um, I'd always thought that there were good opportunities to transfer, I guess, the, the, the way that we helped the business make lending decisions for consumers into small business. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of the, the attributes of a small business actually comes down to the individual that is running that business anyway. Yes. Um, and I knew that the way that organizations at that point made their decisioning for small business was very, very, very manual. So that threw another right. challenge to me, you know, how can you educate a, a, a business that you can, you can help make small business lending decisions with a machine um, that up until that point, an experienced business banker of, of 30 years has been making those decisions. Yes. And that was a huge, that was a huge challenge. So I was huge. the, you know, I was the, the young, the young gun, the young gun, the young analyst trying yeah. to, trying to explain to, you know, the business banking veterans of 30 years or more yes. that we have some models and some machines here that can make a decision as good as, as they can and quicker. And that, that challenge really um, interested me. Oh, for sure. And how, how did you face that challenge? How did you go with it? Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was still learning at that point. Um, you know, I, there's, there was still some skepticism around whether or not a machine could do it. Definitely. Um, they, I mean, the way that we got around that was by literally by get, getting some bankers together, mm-hmm. giving the bankers the same data that the model had available to make a decision and saying, you know, right from these 50 different examples of, of customers who have come in for business lending of whatever it was, 100,000 pounds. Yeah. Um, what would your decision be and, and why? And we would capture all of those decisions and then we would run the same applications through the model and we would compare them side by side and present them back to the bankers. Um, and in the large majority of cases, the decisions would be the same. Mm-hmm. with a few exceptions and where there were exceptions they usually made sense you know for example yeah. maybe there was a data item that wasn't quite right in the model that the business banker understood mm-hmm. right? or maybe the business banker had, ha- had had some bias because you know they built up a good rapport with the customer and and felt that they could make a decision based off that it, it wasn't objective it was more subjective yes um, but the fact that we could we could make those decisions and we could also remove the need for the bankers to go through reams and reams of paperwork Mm -hmm. to do something manually that a machine could do automatically yes you know without actually changing the end decision and then freeing them up to be able to have better engagement with their customers rather than a credit process yes um yeah it it worked well um um, what, what we also did was we 
positioned it initially as a decision assist. Mm -hmm. So we would say, we have this recommendation coming from the model. You can use it um, to guide your decision. That's really good. Yeah, and then over time, you know, the, the, the level of similarity between the, 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 the machine and the banker, um, you know, it, it got closer, closer and closer. That is great. That is great. Uh, because that's, that's still a, a problem that is so common today. Um, people might feel the, the competitive pressure that they need to automate uh, mm. parts of, of either their work or their, their division's work. But getting the, the buy-in and, and getting people to change their behavior and use this, it's still uh, a very prevalent problem. It is. I, I still think there's a lot of, of skepticism about um, data science and, and, and machine learning. And there's probably a lot of fear around it taking over aspects of people's jobs. Um, but if you can, what I found is if, if you can, if you can um, show those areas that it's taking away a lot of the, the menial parts of the job and a lot of the, the processing parts of the job and giving them indicators and, and flags and decisions to help them in their decision making whilst freeing them up to do something else that you know th th there's very few people that can 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 argue against that you know it's not taking your your job it's actually freeing you up to do the other parts of your job better yes um, the parts of your job that can't actually be done by a machine and by the way the machine also knows this and, and you don't know this unless you actually go in and search through all of these other systems yourself. Mm -hmm. You don't know this, and, and the machine does. Yes. Um, you know, the machine now can know that one of our customers has been searching for health insurance online, mm -hmm. right? You're not going to know that as a, um, you know, as, as, a, as a frontline operator. Definitely not, yes. But having that information is key, key at the right point. And did you have any, any cases where the machine learning model would outperform uh, the, the banker in this case, either through um, accuracy or by having access to, to this data that the banker wouldn't have access to previously? Um, certainly in cases of, of fraud, mm -hmm. um, you know, where the... That's probably the, be the, the best example, because in, in most of the cases of, of the credit decisions or the line management or the, the, the collection strategies, the, the bankers are, are smart. And if they had the time to go through every single piece of information the machine does, yes. they would come up with a good decision mm -hmm. in, in most cases. Yes. Um, but yeah, th things like fraud, where the machine can tell you that you know somebody else has applied for credit and they have given the same mobile phone number as somebody has given previously with a different name from a different address. Yes. And the bank is not going to know that, um, exactly. but the machine can 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 find that out. Yes, of course. And generally, in the in the process of of um, getting the bankers to get used to using the model at what point in building the relationship do you bring in those uh, additional attributes that the bankers wouldn't have access to um, 
I, I think so the, the first the first phase the first phase is is I guess keep it simple to begin with yes so the first phase show how the model is making a decision and, and show how that aligns with the decision that you would make as a banker then start um, you know throwing in those data items as a a second phase or even working with the bankers or the operational areas to say if there was some of the data that you would want to see that might influence your decision in this case what would it be yes you know would would you want to know how the customer has been engaging with us through the call center or online mm -hmm. if so what would you want to know you know would you want to know what stage in the life cycle the customer is at yes right um, would you want to know what they've been searching for? Would, would you want to know, um, you know, whether they're thinking about having kids? You know they're mm -hmm. having kids, yeah. right? But would you like us to give you an indicator that says, by the way, that this customer falls into a segment where they are very likely to have kids over the next one or two years? Yes. If you knew that piece of information, would it change the conversation that you're going to have with the customer? Mm -hmm. And if so, we can we can tell you that again it's a guide yes right but it is really helping you get to know more and more about the customer and customize that conversation that you're going to have with them definitely and what i and what i really like about that is that it's it's guided uh, it's definitely a guide but it's also you get the the banker to come up with the answer themselves so you're taking them on the journey instead of coming in and and being prescriptive from the start, yeah. The, the, my my experience is not only bankers, mm. but anybody in an organisation will will not respond positively to that. If you go with something that is prescriptive and say this is what you need to do, <laughs> I think rather than co-designing something with them, you know, having um, we, might, we might come on to talking about agile ways of working with the business later, but I think. Yes. One of the benefits of that is that you've got co-design. Yes. And you've got co-designing to a minimal viable product and then you can build on that over time. And the other areas of the business that you pick to work with you on that and technology mm -hmm. as well, feel as though they have a stake in it. Um, they can contribute to it. They will support it. They will sponsor it. They will be more likely to buy into it. Um, I, I think that is, from my experience, that is the way to go. A senior exec once gave me some feedback. Mm -hmm. um, I asked him for his file on me. Yes. And he said, he said, Ben, I know that analytically, you know, you, you know your stuff. I can give you a problem to solve. I know that you will go away and you will come back to me with the answer. And I said, well, that, that's a good thing, isn't it? <laughs> and he said, actually, no, that's right. not what I want from you. What I want you to do is take that problem away, work through it with others who you believe have a stake in it and are potentially going to use it, come up with the answer collectively, and then you will find that you will get significantly more benefits from doing it that way. Because other people will understand it, they will feel as though they've developed it with you, they will have faith in it. Um, and they will use it and then they will come back to you for the next step and they will also advocate up through the chain and, and analysts, data scientists and not 
naturally the best at advocating or selling. Yes. So by doing it this way, you get others speaking on your behalf and that is the best recommendation you can get for a data science team. Correct. It's like having word of mouth for a business. Absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is really interesting. Um, uh, and I actually walked away from that conversation. Yeah. But when he first said that, I thought that doesn't make any sense. Yes. You know, my, my, my job here is to answer problems. Exactly. Quickly and effectively. Quickly. Yeah. Yeah. No, no not, not anymore, because yeah. a machine can do that. Mm -hmm. That is so interesting. That is, and then um, from then on, how did you start to, to change your, your <clears throat> approach and, and what was the, um, the benefits that you saw as a result? Um, so, I mean, so from the beginning, really understanding what the business problem is, yes. identifying who all of the areas are that actually have a, a stake in that and that you will need help from in either building it or designing it or implementing it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm, so then I made a point of, this was before Agile, right? So Agile yes. wasn't really a thing, yep. a thing then, but there was Six Sigma and there was Kaizen and, and there was different ways of working collaboratively together to build and to and deliver something. Mm -hmm. Although it was still waterfall as opposed to uh, agile. Um, you're just making sure you've got all the people together and you meet regularly and, and you co-design you co-design something. And, and I found that that, including the example I gave you earlier, so the bankers themselves. Yes. Where I think even now, we run the risk of getting agile scrum teams together that represent different areas of the business, but continue to forget about the area that's actually going to be operationalizing it. Yes. So the banker or the call center operator or the digital team or you know, the, the, the salespeople out in the, um, you know, the, the, the business. So I think we still tend to forget about that. Um, we may be getting better with the, the technology and, and the head office mm -hmm. operational areas, marketing and, and product and, and, and the like, but you need to have the people there that are very, very close to the end customer Yes, as well. Even getting customers in. You exactly. know, having customer immersion sessions have been fantastic for me. Really? Yeah. And what do those look like? So they, they, they vary. Uh -huh. um, I mean, the ones that I've been involved in in my most recent role at, at Medibank have, have just simply in, involved getting a couple of customers in mm -hmm. and asking them for their feedback on the, the product or, you know, the, relate, the, the experience they've had with the organization through whatever channel mm -hmm. um, or the experience, excuse me, they've had through the website or the app. Um, and just getting their perspective has been invaluable. Going and concierging in a branch yeah. was, was great um, because you saw that you know, most of the, the questions or the issues that customers have could actually be solved quite simply, mm -hmm. not by building a complex algorithmic model, but by you know, just, you know, automating a very small part of the process with one or two data points. Interesting. Um, it just gives you a really good, good perspective. That's really interesting because there's, there's definitely a, 
I guess, yeah, be, being close to the customer is, is um, what I'm hearing as something really important uh, for, for data science and also, I guess, not over-engineering models and starting small by co-designing um, with stakeholders. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, really, really great, great ways to, to work with others, to bring everyone together for the journey um, and to make a, an impact in, in the organization. I think it takes a while to get there, uh -huh. Philippe. So I, I think when you, when you come out of, of university and you've got, you know, these great, these great coding skills and you know you know how to manipulate data and, and you can apply you know multiple different algorithms to that data to come up with a with, with an answer you, you kind of think that you just need to get better at analytics and you think that you know your job is to be innovative and re research new tools and techniques and just get better and better at, at data science or analytics and then you reach a certain point mm -hmm. in your career where that's not enough anymore. Yes. You know, where you, you realize that being able to explain that to the people that are gonna use it, realizing that getting people involved in building um, the solutions with you helps actually get them implemented rather than having a perfect model sitting on a shelf. Yes. Um, you realize that you know, being great at analytics doesn't necessarily get people to sponsor you and advocate for you to help you progress your career to more senior roles. Correct. Um, it doesn't get you a seat at the table in more of the strategic conversations that are happening at you know, an executive level. Yes. Um, and there's only so far you can go within a specialized analytics or data science speciality. Mm -hmm. um, it, even you know, even even getting to, to head of level can be difficult because nowadays they're looking for broader experience where you've applied analytics and data science to get you to that stage. Yes. Um, you know, CDO. You know, can can you really go all the way up to a CDO role having just had that being being a a, a brilliant analytical specialist or data science mm. specialist? Can you become a CDO? No, I don't think so. No, I don't either. No. Um, so the sooner that you can start um, developing out those engagement skills, business acumen skills, um, the understanding that it's not the complexity of the model or the perfection of the model that is important. Yes. Um, I think the sooner you start understanding that, the better. Um, and it probably took me longer than it should have done. I think, I think everyone feels like that. I know I definitely do and that I, I felt like I had to go through a fair bit of, of pain of like professional pain to, to for me to change my my ways from trying to be a specialist to to trying to engage others to yeah. work together how did you find it going through oh, I, failed. I, mean, I failed a few times and and you know i felt like i was banging my head against a brick wall trying to get people to understand that this is going to improve your business it's going to add value yes you know the numbers tell you that it's going to add value um it's not the way to get good engagement and, and good sponsorship and support. Correct. Not by saying, look how good this is. Yeah. Why are you not using it? <laughs> what are you yeah. guys thinking? Yeah. <laughs> what are you stupid? Look yeah. at it. Oh, yeah. The numbers don't lie. No. 
No, 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 they don't. <laughs> but you know, maybe they think I do. But, yeah. yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, it, it, I think it takes people a while to to break through that. Um, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I mean, it, looking mm. back on it now, it's common sense. Yes, uh, I feel I feel the same the same way. But um, yeah, like like what you were saying, I definitely failed a lot of times in trying to do it, and um, yeah. yeah, and I, and I felt that I had to do a better technical job instead of a better people job or yeah. in, uh, stakeholder engagement job. Yeah, you, I think you tend to focus internally on, on your team. Yes. Um, enabling them, supporting them, and, and you lose sight of you know, the, the broader external stakeholder, um, the, the importance of that, especially at that senior level. Um, you know, I, I even got to the stage where yeah, there was one in one example, and I'm sure you've you've been through this as well, Philippe. Where you you actually work really hard with the external regulators, mm-hmm. so whether it be APRA or ASIC or whoever, to be your advocate mm-hmm. to try and encourage the business that they need to do things in a certain way because if they don't, they're going to breach regulations. Yes, correct. Right. And again, that's not the right way to do it. No. It is a way to do it. APRA says we have to do this, otherwise we're going to breach responsible lending regulations, or mm-hmm. ASIC, sorry. Therefore, you know, we have to do it. We have to automate this policy. We have to you know, have um, an internal ratings-based approach for credit risk, because if you do, you can reduce your capital. But using that as an argument, it's not necessarily going to get you genuine <laughs> engagement. Correct. No, it's it's gonna get you what you want, but but not the right way. Not are, are they gonna feel good about it? Are they gonna feel as though? Yeah. And I think that's that's the the key. Like, are, are they genuinely going to feel good about making this change? About taking on this new tool, this new model? Um, yeah. How how genuine is is that shift? Um, does it come from internally from within them or from the external pressures yeah um is even now right is is there a genuine buy-in to the benefits of analytics or data science Mm. or is it a senior exec team that come back from silicon valley Mm. saying give me some machine learning and some ai yeah do they genuinely believe and, and understand the value that's going to give to their, their organization or is it just the latest buzzword? It's tough. I think in, <laughs> in a lot of places, it's the, the latest buzzword. It's something to, to throw in. Um, but I, yeah, there, there's, I don't know if there's something around data literacy, around understanding what the, what the potential are. Um, what do you think that would uh, be able to bring interest and engagement from the right place? Well, sorry, what would bring en- interest and engagement, genuine uh, interest and engagement from a senior exec level? Yes. Um, you you have, to, have to align with the business strategy. Mm-hmm and focus on delivering something that is going to give value on something that is a real pain point for the business and then just you know selling it 
selling it and selling it and selling it. And as data scientists, we're not very good at, at selling the value of the work that we do. So I think the yeah. first thing is aligning to the business strategy and making sure you're focused on a particular pain point that is very visible and everybody is talking about it. Mm -hmm. um, and then just selling the, the benefits of, of that, keeping it simple. Yes. Really keeping it simple. Um, and identifying some advocates within the organization that can sell it on your behalf. Yes. Up to that senior exec mm -hmm. group. Yes. Yes, definitely. And giving them or their team you know, a part in co-designing it with you. Yes. Yeah, which again comes back to the agile ways of working. So getting somebody from an area that you know is going to help sponsor what you deliver and cascade it upwards mm -hmm. um, and including them in, in the co-design of, of what you do so that it doesn't look as though it's um, rocket science. I, I don't like selling data science as, as rocket science. I don't like it being black box. I, yeah. I think it has to be transparent and it has to be explainable um, and it's only by doing that that I think you'll get genuine genuine understanding and then genuine buy-in yes. to it. And I think that's, that's difficult for, for a lot of data scientists because sometimes we like the obscurity around our field or being able to use that to, to our benefit to say you know, oh, this is too complicated for a mm. business person to understand, or the maths here, you know, it's, it's very technical. Um, and we try to, we create distance between us and our users or us and our stakeholders by, by doing that. Um, do you think, do you think we, do, do, do you think that, that, that some people like to create that distance? Is that what you're, you're saying? Yes, I think so. What, what do you think? I, I agree. I agree. Um, you know, I, I think some people like to be referred to as the, you know, the really intelligent propeller heads that sit in their own ivory tower and, and yes. nobody else can understand what we're doing. We're really, really smart. Um, you know, we, we know how to drive value in this organization. We're really smart. They don't need to understand it. They just need to accept it. Correct. Um, that doesn't work. Yes, it does not work at all. Not to, to create that genuine engagement. Um, and I think that 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 uh, feeling or that uh, perspective comes from the the fact that we have a lot of well we have a lot of data we're we're analyzing it day in day out so we get to to see things that most people in the organization don't and we get to understand them at a at a depth that most people in an organization don't. Yeah. And I think that leads data scientists to think we know better and, and then feel frustrated that things are not being done the way that we see them. Yeah, that, that, I, that they I should agree. be done. I, I completely agree with that. I, I also think that it's human nature to want to feel special. Yes. Right? And, and, and I think that by sharing what you know, mm -hmm and by encouraging other people to learn about what you know and working with you on it, you run the risk of being seen as less special. Yeah. Because the thing that you understand and you're really good at, other people can, can do it. Um, 
so maybe there's fear maybe there's a bit of fear there as well and, and that gets in the way of I think true collaboration across teams when it comes to analytics and data science yes definitely does and have you had to help people from your team to bridge that gap in the past and how how have you gone about helping them to um, to essentially teach others how to do their job right and and explaining what they've done in a way that people can understand it have you had people that are stuck in that part yeah I, yeah I have um, I think getting forcing them to actually present it back to the business and then uh, you know reflecting on how that that went mm -hmm. and asking for feedback from the business on you know how it went yes um, and then just you know iterating that that process and really not dumbing it down but presenting it in a way that can be understood by people that don't have the analytical modeling background yes um, i think is a really important skill um, and i've always tried to to push that you can i guess either lead by demonstrating how it can be done mm -hmm. um, or just by by practice and saying you know how how do you think that went did the model actually get implemented did it get endorsed um, you know do you think the business understood you know how it could be used did you get any feedback afterwards um, it's a difficult it's a difficult one um, because I, I think it's a learned skill mm -hmm. but I also think it, you know it's part of your personality as well Yes. You know, do you, do you genuinely want somebody to understand what you've done? Are you able to put yourself in their shoes? You know, from a non-analytical perspective. Correct, correct. But it can it can be learned. It it can definitely be learned. Yes, definitely. And if you go to the if you go to the doctor, mm. right, um, and you have a conversation with your doctor about your illness, and the doctor gives you a whole load of medical terms that you don't understand, <laughs> um, and then gives you a gives you paracetamol to, to get better. Do you, do you walk away from that conversation feeling engaged with your GP mm. or would you rather they actually had a proper conversation with you that told you what was wrong and, and how you could get better? Yeah. You know, would you go back to that GP? Mm. That's a really good way to look at it. Yeah, because yeah, as I was saying before, like so many people want to, it, using the analogy in this case, want to throw the medical terms and and the complexity mm. at, at the, the customer um, instead of explaining things in, in ways that they can actually understand and actually get behind mm. uh, and excited by, by the prospects and by the work. Mm. What I'm realizing is we don't, I don't think we start when we get grads in mm. um, from uni or you know, Melbourne Business School, wherever it might be. Um, we tend to focus on the technical skills and we will throw them the next problem to, to solve for us. Um, I don't think we start early enough at talking about how to broaden the skill set, um, to be able, and the importance of being able to sell what they do, um, understanding the business they're operating in. Yes. Um, talking about the career path. Mm -hmm. And you know the, the, the fact that you can have specialized skill paths or you can then broaden out into more general Roles. Correct. Um, and I don't think we start talking about those early enough in an analyst or a data scientist career. Yes. Yes. Um, and the 
I think the, the toolkit that data scientists need to build is, is a lot broader these days as well. Yes. Um, even the technical toolkit. Correct. All right. Because yep. a, lot, a lot of that technical toolkit used to sit within technology mm -hmm. or IT, all the software engineering, all the data engineering. Yes. That is now merging much more with the analytical world because that's enabling analytics and you know the the speed of enabling analytics is really important mm -hmm. and then at the the tail end of it you've got the the business acumen operationalizing what you develop generating the value from it and selling it into the business and iterating so you've got three chunks yes. right you've got what used to be very heavily guarded by tech mm -hmm. you've then got the analytics or as i call it analytics yeah, yeah. Um, which is you know, it can be your reporting, or it can be your modeling, um, or it can just be your insight. And then you've got the operationalization of it and the, the selling it into the business. They are three very different skill sets. And I think the, the, the grads are coming in having focused on the analytics skill set, maybe a little bit of the, the software and the data engineering. Mm -hmm. Yes. But to be a successful data scientist nowadays, you need all three of those. Yes. But then as you're progressing through your career, you need to focus more on the, the, the value point, the end point, and, and selling it. Right? And then you've got to trust others to be able to do the, the analytics and the, um, the technology side of it. That's right. So I think, I think that's where we're, we're heading and all of our career development and coaching and training and, and, and all of that needs to focus on all three of those areas very mm. deliberately. Um, I also think that where we're heading um, is, is a much closer relationship with the technology part of the business. So I'm thinking now mm -hmm. about whether I need to get some of, I either need to get some of those data engineering or software engineering skills in my team, yeah. or I need to form a much closer relationship with technology. Correct. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, I don't know what, how, how you found it, um, Philippe, but I, in the past, analytics has tended to be in between tech and the business. Mm and has had to translate from one to the other. Yes. Right? And with that has come all kinds of, of challenges and, and you know, relationship challenges, understanding challenges. And those lines are just getting more blurred. So the, the, the skill set that you've got to have as a data scientist is, is huge. Huge. Yeah. It's, it's actually huge. And I think that's why there's, um, there's not one person that can know everything that's required. Um, I, yeah, I always used to explain it that, you know, uh, analytics is a team sport that you need to, to have a, a team there. There's not, mm. there's not going to be one person that mm. can do it all. Mm. And, um, and when, in the times that I've, that I've faced that problem um, around the coverage of all the, the three skill sets that you're talking about, more and more over time, I, I lean towards the having everyone in my team, having all the skills in my team, and and um, and when we have to work with other areas, get people effectively seconded onto the team and be yeah. able to work with us. 
exclusively and full time for you know three months, six months, a year, and get them into the the working rhythm of the team, the DNA of the team, um, and and being um, a representative from from their part of the business. Yeah. Uh, especially during the the early stages of the project, before starting to engage stakeholders and and customers in a in a deeper way yeah um how how have you so yeah that's 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 interesting because the other way to operate is you know having the deep skill sets within the different parts of the business but then having agile teams that work together on solving particular problems or you know co-designing co-designing something which doesn't necessarily mean they have to all be in the same team. Mm-hmm. They can be from separate teams, but working together on something. So you've effectively got the same team, but focused on a particular initiative. Yes. Um, I, I worry sometimes about developing a jack of all trades, master of none. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think you've got to be quite deliberate about you know what what are the skill sets that you do want to have together in one team, um, without running the risk of losing the depth. Correct. Correct. Hundred percent. Because I think um, for for each of the theory, three areas that you mentioned around tech, analytics, and, and business, they they each need to have their almost like a hub where it's it's doing things at scale that then you can leverage off when you do the the agile projects. Yeah. So, for example, in in analytics, you might need an analytics platform. You might need, you know, a data processing pipeline or a data warehouse, something where you can be extracting all the um, the, the data from. Yeah, that's almost, you know, a project on its own. And then the the analytics team member or representative knows the data warehouse, knows how to create new features, how to create the models, and take and add value to that agile project. So. At least the, the way that I that I see it is is like a hub and spoke model. Yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah. What do you think? Where where the hub is your centralized data science or analytics team. Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, which I know you I mean you run something similar, right? And then your spokes are the analytics teams that sit in the various parts of the the business. Correct. Correct. And working yeah. in, in including technology, including. Yeah. Um, yes. And yeah, because yeah, I think that is. I think that's the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, there's many different ways I've seen. Yeah. Centralized models and decentralized models work or or not work. Yes. Um, I think there's certain things that can be centralized, such as you know t- tools that are available to the broader analytics population. Yes. Um, you know, governance, yes. getting all of the data in, in one spot and all of the, the data engineering and software engineering that you need for that mm-hmm. to enable the broader analytics population. Yes. But that centralized team is never going to get as close to the business as the spoke team that sits within marketing or sits within product or sits within finance. Correct. So I, I, I think that's the way to go. Yeah. Uh, but I know that and I think a lot of organizations are heading that way, but I, I also know that every organization I've worked in has struggled with that. Yes, and, and, and agreed. There has, there, there has always been a bit of an us and them. Yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, approach. And yeah. 
uh, that doesn't tend to encourage collaboration. That's right. And how, how have you mitigated that, uh, that us and them uh, approach in the past? Um, I'm not sure I have yet. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in, in, in my current role, we're getting together as an analytics community. Mm-hmm. So we get together informally as an analytics community, which pulls all of the various people from around the, the business. Great. Um, specifically trying to, trying to work very closely with, with tech. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so tech that are building out, moving the data into the cloud and all of the associated capability you know, that is going to be delivered through that. Yes. Making sure that I'm working very closely, my data science team is working very closely with them. Yes. Um, to not influence it, but, you know, work with them on building out what the best solution might be. Um, yeah. Because there's a, there's a, in the past, I think it's been the case of technology have delivered something and then they have said to the analytical teams, this is now here, now use it. Correct. Right, whereas now, we're, we're co- I feel as though we're co-designing. Okay. I feel as though we're co-designing something. That's really great. Um, and yeah, I think, I, think that, I, think that is, I think that is really great. And it's a tough, tough place to get to, um, I think. And yeah, I always wondered whether the, the best relationship with, with technology was around the analytics team being a customer of of technology um, or whether co-designing uh, would work better what what have you seen what do you think of the, the I think whenever cost? it's been co-designing it's worked mm-hmm. better whenever analytics has been regarded as being a, a, a customer of technology and something yeah. has been delivered now you know go, go and use it it's the best it's the best thing in the, <laughs> the IT space at the moment mm-hmm. everyone's talking about it everyone's using it um, you know, now go ahead and use it. It's not worked. Correct. And we've then had to go away and do our own engineering, data mm. engineering, to be able to build a specific data mark that we can build models from because we can't use the thing that has been put there by tech. Yes. Um, but I think, yeah, as I say, I think that's changing. Um, but I also think it's down to us to open ourselves up and, and engage with with technology rather than just saying right tech engage with us is a, a two-way thing yes well that's something i really like about about your approach um consistently throughout in the bringing people together engaging with with the different teams quite well and focusing on on um, the data scientists having broader skill sets so you can um, work with all the different teams that you that you need to yeah yeah um yeah and yeah, then then the the I guess the question is how do you build that that skill set? I, like, I won't say I've not got it perfect. I'm I'm yeah. still learning about this myself. But do you try and develop that skill set within your team, or do you bring the various parts of the skill set in? It's tough. It's really tough. Yeah. Because um, as you say, you can't find the perfect data scientist that has all three, and maybe there's maybe there's a, a handful. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, across the the, the globe, and mm. you can see the benefits of it because you know they've got fantastic careers. But there's you know there's not many that can have the full suite. And yeah. You know. Correct. Exactly. And yeah. So I'd, I've I've focused on bringing those people into 
into my team and having them all co-located, work together, um, share the same, the same pace, the yeah. same approach. And have you found, so how, and then how have you found that? So, you, so for example, you've brought in people that have the data engineering and the software engineering skills and they're working with the modelers and yes. the analysts. How has how has that worked? Have you found that those skills those skills have been transferred across the team, or do they just work together and focus on their own skill set still? Really interesting because at least what I've found, if you if you leave them leave them be and essentially just look at the output of the work, everyone stays on their own lane and on on their own specialty. But if you go in a little bit deeper and try to get that cross-pollination by giving, you know, like a, a data scientist, giving them a, a small data engineering project. Yeah. Then, then they teach each other and, and share the skill set. Okay. But in general, um, I think it's because of the, the time pressures. In general, people feel like they should stick to their own knitting. And, um, and lean on others to do the other work. Uh, yeah. And having them co-located makes that a lot easier. Okay. But, but then once you push them, it, it becomes really interesting and you get really good outcomes uh, from, from the team as a whole. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What, what's your view on bringing in a skill set that you need from an external vendor or a, a, a contracting? A contracting firm. So one of the challenges that the reason I ask this question is one of the challenges I've had is, you know, looking at partnering with external vendors at certain pieces within the analytics chain. Yes. You know, whether it be data ingestion, analytics platform, decision engine, or visualization, right? But how how do you do that in a way that keeps your own data science team? engaged yes and keeps the IP yes. within the team as opposed to the IP sitting within an external vendor correct so so important so important um, so for example what I did on my last role, role at ANZ is we work with a um, with a small consulting company uh, based here in Melbourne and we created really a a very close relationship between uh, my team and their team and the focus that I that I maintain was for the consulting company's team to be an enabler for our internal team and essentially for yeah. all the I guess what we would see was that what the data science team would see as the, the cool stuff the sexy stuff for the, the majority of that to be done internally yeah. and to build that internal capability um, and therefore we, we found this complementary um, company that the stuff that they see as as the cool things to do is around the software engineering uh, very strong software yeah. engineering and, and and data engineering and that's where we, we pretty much crossed over we, we have some data engineering capabilities so do they and we, okay. we work okay. together quite well um, they have helped us with, with data science work as well, um, but uh, at least for me, the focus was around 
having the consulting en- enable the internal yeah. team. So as a as a partner, as a partner, rather than a a, a supplier or yes. a vendor. Yes. Did they did they co-locate with you? And yes. They were you know behind your firewall and working as a part of your team. Yes. Is that how you found it? Okay. Uh, that's um, not not at the beginning, but definitely that's what we moved to. Um, during a period last year, we moved into their offices. Yeah. So we right. moved out of, um, I guess, headquarters of uh, this large corporation. We went to their offices, you know, in the suburb. Yeah, even better. We yeah. took 20 people from the team and um, took over their, their offices, really. Um, and then... And now it's it's coming back where they're they're going to. So now um, my old team has um, been moved into an innovation center with a couple other teams in the organization um, that have some of those software skills with a different focus. They're more around platforms and payments. Yeah. Um, but uh, now essentially my data science team has built moved in there, and this consulting company is moving in. Um, Okay. To work closely okay. with us, um, yeah. So the, yeah, this this company is called Growing Data, and um, they. That's a, that's a nice plug. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, they've been they've been really good. They've been really good for us, um, and they they've essentially. Um, over is, it, is, is this going to be in the podcast? Uh, well, I have to put it in now. <laughs> <laughs> I can't beat around the bush and no mention them. <laughs> no, but they've they've meant they've built a um, a platform that enables data scientists so for us um a few months ago we we sort of had some some news that was quite well taken in the organization because we had one one person one data scientist um do data engineering data science and app development in one week Uh and then be able to publish that app to users obviously a minimum viable uh, product and um and a first cut prototype, but doing the end-to-end uh, workflow within a week the, was done by the data scientist in my team using the, the platform from, right. from this company. So that's, that's what I mean, that uh, they've been really good to enable the team. Yeah. And, then the, and then at least my focus with the team was for them to do the work that went to the customer that yeah. went to the stakeholders and then they could go and have those conversations. Yeah, that's really important. Them. So you, you asked me a question about data science leadership earlier on. Now yes. we, we know that we have led and you know still do lead teams that um, don't like to lose the IP. Yes. All right, so they don't like a model to be built outside of the organization and then not understand how it's been built but then have the responsibility of having to monitor it and improve it and integrate it and everything generally data scientists don't like to to lose their ip so i think part of leadership is finding those vendor partnerships yes and there's a huge growing number out there now huge like it's very difficult to 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 understand where to go and, and who to engage with yes um but i think it's another skill as a leader to find that vendor partnership that genuinely works with you yes. at building out the IP that sits within the organization, mm-hmm. but actually has 
the organization's best interests at heart rather than their own interests. Correct. Correct. And, and, and that you can very, very quickly disengage a team by outsourcing data science in the wrong way. Yes. Yes. Because I see, I see that as a, a focus of a lot of, a lot of uh, senior managers and executives where they think they take a, I always see it as a buy versus build duality where do you buy the capability, do you buy the data scientist, do you buy or do you build, build it from, from within? Mm. Um, and for me, there's a question of obviously of the morale of the team and, and the IP. And for me, it's, it's all about building the capability internally and using whatever you can externally, starting with open source and yeah. good partner vendors yeah. um, to, to enable you to, to, to take it to the next level, but uh, with a focus of building the capability internally. Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. what do you think? Completely agree. I mean, thing, things are moving so quickly that mm. you're never going to be able to build and optimize everything internally because you're just not yeah. going to be across everything that's happening in the marketplace. Mm. Right? Uh, whereas there are vendors that can go deep in a particular area um, and you can benefit from, from that. You know, whether it's a specific app that enables you to translate voice into text or whether yes. it's you know, an example. Um, so I think those vendor relationships are very important uh, and they have to be managed in the right way to not lose the engagement and the morale of your data science team. Correct. And also your internal tech partners as well. Yeah. Correct. Correct. And how, how do you find going through, through that process of engaging the vendor partners and I guess putting all the puzzle pieces together being... Yeah, I found it pretty, pretty tough actually. Yes. Uh, because you could start with a hundred and then narrow it down or you, you can start with the ones that are actually engaging with you or you, you know you can start with recommendations from your peer yeah. network or what has worked well for them yes in, in their, their particular situation um, or just who you've experienced working well with in the past um, I think it's a mix of, of all of that and, and just sitting down and talking to your peers yes and I think that's why these um, you know data science groups and you know getting together as a community can be a, a really good thing because not just the presentations and the talks that you see but just the conversations that you can have around technologies and partners that they've worked with on certain things and what's worked and what hasn't yes um, you know it doesn't always need to be a partnership with the big platform players it can be as you say um, you know just a niche data science, analytics, consultancy firm and, and yeah, correct. Or maybe a combination of the two. That's right. That's right. And having, um, being able to discuss all the different approaches is something that definitely has, I've got a lot of benefit from, um, yeah. for example, somebody, um, once told me that they were running small proof of concepts and prototypes with lots of different vendors and, and essentially do a, a try before you buy and see how, you know, you work together with them and et cetera. Yeah. Um, and that was an approach that, that I've taken in the past when, especially when we were trying to figure out what data science could do in the division 
right? And having no data science capability before that. So nobody knew what they should be asking for, what they could ask for, what mm. was even possible. Um, so I picked off sort of low-hanging fruit from a bunch of different areas and then tried them all as proof of concepts. Um, well, how, how did your vendors respond yeah. to that? Or your potential vendors? Well, they, um, it helped me differentiate the, the ones where I felt comfortable having a long-term relationship with and the ones that were, that I felt that they were in it for themselves. Does yeah. that make sense? Um, Isn't it amazing how much of it comes back to relationships again? Yes. You know, ahead of, ahead of technical capability, that, there's obviously a, a baseline that you need for technical capability. There's a minimum set of, of standards and requirements. Um, but it, yeah, it comes down to the relationship. Can you trust this, this vendor? Are you working with them as a partner? Correct. Um, can you talk real? Yes. You know, as opposed to jargon. Yes. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's, that, that's, a, that's an interesting approach. Yeah, and then... Yeah, to have a number, yeah, a number of potential vendors doing multiple different proofs of concepts and then just figuring it out that way. It's quite, it's quite agile of you. <laughs> well, I don't know, maybe it was a bit crazy, but... <laughs> No, but definitely with, with a view of us owning the, the IP, uh, the, as much as possible for it to be open source, um, yeah. everything had to be scalable and ready for machine learning. Um, yeah, so those are the minimum yes. standards. Right? Correct. You know, it has to be scalable, future-proofed, um, integrated to your, um, your platform, open source technology. Um, but then it comes down to the relationship and the trust. 100%. A hundred percent. So, and then, what do you think is the next? What would take a, a data science leader to the next step? Because what it, uh, from what we discussed, what what it sounds like is that there's a there's a part where you're an analytics specialist. You become better at at that craft. Then you start getting exposed to to the business side, to the stakeholder engagement to the technology side, the software engineering, the data yeah. engineering. Yeah. Uh, then you have to move up to, to a leadership perspective where you're looking after different puzzle pieces of stakeholder engagement, vendor engagement and relationships, uh, being able to find the, the strategic pain points of the organization and have people uh, genuinely engaged and, and happy so they, they promote your work. Mm. Um, what do you think comes after that? Uh, that? That's the question that I'm trying to answer myself. Yeah. Philippe, I, think. Um, I think to be a successful senior executive in an organization. So, I mean, what, what would an example be? Being a chief data analytics officer? Yes. Or um, so I within think a large organization, you know, having that direct line into the, the group exec. Correct. So I think um, that's... Yeah. Um, that's one tough I, I think you I think you have to you know, really understand the, the, the business strategy what is happening in the marketplace what are your competitors doing what do you actually need 
data and analytics and technology to enable in order to drive that that business strategy and purpose. Yeah. Um, and then you know, make sure that you're involved in all of the strategic conversations that are being had to um, to to enable that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's just really building out that strategic skill set. Yes. Um, the commercial acumen that you need for that, making sure that you're building on and improving all of the partnerships that you have externally and internally. Yes. Um, I think it becomes a lot more outward looking. Mm. So you move from being quite inward looking and managing your team and, and the skill sets within that team much more to being outward looking and seeing what's in the marketplace and talking to people and just figuring out over time how can you use those connections to you know help build out your own business strategy and then you know take that leadership approach to you know take the responsibility for actually doing that yes um, and working out where you need to invest and you know who you need to help you and Exactly. Yeah, it's a bit of a fluffy answer to the question. No, no, no. But it's it's I, I think it's spot on. That's exactly what's um, what's required. That you need to have a an outward view, um, so then you can put in your own stake on the ground and and put your your vision and your direction, right? And obviously you'll have to do a a lot of research around competitors and what's in the available in the market to be able to say this is the direction that we're going for. Mm. Uh, call that out and then internally be able to to have those strategic discussions as you say to rally the troops behind that yeah. um, that objective and trying to have make the, the organization uh, stand out for this capability that you're championing yeah um, it's becoming more, more difficult I've, I think a lot of organizations are starting to look very similar yes from a tech Perspective. Yes. You know, the number of organizations that are moving their data or have moved their data onto the AWS yes. cloud. Correct. And then all of the associated tools and, and technology that, that comes with that. Right. Everybody has a very similar strategic goal to get all of the data in, in one spot, you know, link it to all of the analytical tools and, and techniques that are available to drive value from it and then make it consumable by the broader enterprise. Mm -hmm. All right, and future-proof yep. it so that it can be scaled up so that you can link in you know, various applications as and when they get developed by places around the globe. Yes. Um, everybody has that, I think, as a core strategy. Yeah. So how do you differentiate yourself from your competitors that are looking to do exactly the same thing? Correct. Um, and it could be a real, uh, even even saying you've got a real passionate focus on the customer. Yes. And a set of services that are going to differentiate you from the competition. I mean, that can can work, but you've really got to, you've got to be so purpose-driven. Yes. Um, and that's where, when, when you were saying that, my mind immediately went to, to being customer-focused. Um, and also to... I think a lot of organizations do their build as a as a push, and by that I mean sort of take all their data, put it onto certain platform or the cloud, 
and then build a data warehouse or a data processing pipeline and then a lot of features and then mm. so then they can use that as a springboard to make lots and lots of models for everything and anything right so that's sort of what i what i see as a push approach and then i think one of the differentiations here is to have a, a pull approach where you start at the at the value part of the chain yeah and then you have a specific problem or, or objective similar to what we were talking about before about the, the the business need or the customer need and essentially that might be a small sliver of what would be the push approach but then that gets that gets pulled right from the from the start yeah and then the work that needs to be done is, is considerably smaller what, what do you think agree agree yeah um <clears throat> I think in in practice you'll end up somewhere in in the middle so yes. you'll have all of this technology and toolkit that is being delivered to enable the organization you'll then have a whole heap of capability that as a business you want that to deliver mm -hmm. which could be personalized real-time communications with your customers yep. right based off what they were doing a minute ago mm -hmm. All right, and that gets sent out on the channel. Right? And then the two kind of converge in, in the middle. Yes. I think in an ideal situation, you really want what your outcomes to drive everything that happens right at the very beginning. Um, I don't think that, that it's not going I don't think it's happening like that because I, I mm. think we know that there's certain core capability that we need as an organization anyway. Yes. All right, so let's invest in building that core capability and then let's design it. Yes. Um, the use of it in a way that delivers what we want from a, a customer Correct. perspective. So I think that's the way that... And how, how have you um, struck that the balance uh, between... Well, we're, we're just partway through. We're just partway yeah. through this now. Um, I think in the past, as I said before, we haven't. I think yes. a lot of the tech capability has been delivered and then it's mm. been handed over to the business to use it. Yeah. Um, whereas I think now with our redesign of, of the platform, it, it's much more a, a, along the co-design yes. co space where you've got people that um, you know, have the understanding of the capability that we want to deliver to our customers, having the conversations with technology now around how the platform options that we've got are going to enable that yes so i just think getting in as early as you as early as we can and working with technology as a partner to deliver that out mm -hmm. yeah um, yeah so you've got tech you've got data science and analy analytics and then you've got the operational and strategic areas of the business all being engaged at you know talking about the um the cloud platform and the analytics platform and, and the data engineering in as, as early as possible in the process yes exactly right and that's yes so we we went through a, a very similar journey at um at my last job and where we ended up was going essentially all in on on google cloud platform uh we before that we were on aws and we we moved um and the, the capabilities are in, in my opinion great um, but there was definitely an element of how can we almost shortcut the process of, of building a platform and, and getting the technology infrastructure and how mm. can we get it on tap so then we can, we can move forward onto the business objectives. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, okay. Or, or potentially use both. Yes. And I mean, obviously you've got Microsoft and Azure as well, but yes. you know, have a concept, I don't know how practical it is, but, but having a, you know, a multi-cloud yes. provider solution because you know that there's going to be certain strengths That's in, right. in one and certain developments in one that there isn't going to be in the other. Yes. So being able to chop and change. And, and there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of organizations that have taken that approach and, and there are um, yeah, really good ways to bring them, bring them together for that. Um, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And when we were talking before about, um, about all the, the different areas of, of business, um, do you think that somebody coming from a data science background can go on to lead different parts of, of the business, like, like marketing or finance, and, and should data scientists be thinking about uh, that as part of their careers and not only a chief data officer leadership role? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, th there's no reason why data scientists can't, can't do that. When you see that uh, within the finance space, you've got a specialist financial or chartered accountant skill set that moves up through the ranks to a CFO role that can then move into a CEO role. Yes. Um, there's absolutely no reason why that can't be the case with data scientists. Um, as I said to you earlier, I think the sooner we start talking about the broader skill set required to do that, I think the ability is there, right? There's just a strength in kind of logical analytical thinking, but there's no reason why that can't be paired with building out business acumen, stakeholder relationships, communication skills, strategic thinking, to then move into more of the strategic roles. And I think nowadays it's, it's even easier because we're involved so much more in some of the strategic discussions that are happening. Yes. Because there's a growing understanding that we are required to enable a lot of business strategy. Yes. And data science is increasingly regarded as a strategic asset. Mm -hmm. I think that we're now exposed more to those kinds of, of conversations. Um, and, you know, there's absolutely no reason why we can't move on to more senior, broader leadership roles. Yes, that's very exciting. Very, very it exciting. Is, for, yes, yeah. yes, for the, the future of data science. You know, how many, how, many, um, how many data scientists have you seen that have, that have now had the courage to go and set up their own business? Correct, yes. And those businesses have been very successful and have then been bought out by you know, larger organizations. And, and you know, the commercial acumen required to go and set up your own business and make it a success and there's numerous examples of it yes um you know it just shows that the capability is that exactly right to yourself the talent is too kind no <laughs> the talent is in the in the community um definitely definitely true oh mate thank you so much yeah thank you so much no, sorry, sorry to keep you so that. long <laughs> That's, got, that's, that's flown by. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. It takes a while to get a data scientist to talk, but once they do, you can never shut them up. Right? It's what I love, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been super, super interesting, right? Thank you so much for that. Yeah, really, yeah. really valuable and super uh, insightful. Thank you, for, Thanks for asking me to do that. No, thank you. Thank you for coming over and doing this, right? Well, um, we'll catch up soon, I'm sure. Thanks for listening to this interview with Ben Patterson. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh, please go to datafuturology.com.
gmail.com to give us your feedback on this episode or any other podcasts. And you can also email me at Felipe at datafuturology.com with any suggestions, uh, feedbacks or comments. Thanks a lot and see you next time.